Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. My number one album, big shocker to me, also folklore. Whoa. Are you ready to dive into all things Taylor Swift? Good for a Weekend is the ultimate podcast for any Swiftie. With new episodes dropping bi-monthly, as well as bonus episodes to give you real-time reactions to the latest rumors and news, it's your one-stop shop for all things T-Swift. We also love connecting with our fellow Weekenders, so be sure to connect with us on Instagram, Twitter, and or Discord to share all your Taylor thoughts. Good for a Weekend is available wherever you get your podcasts. I know. Folklore just is that. Like, it's a perfect album. Consequence Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to the Spark Parade, a show where I geek out with artists and entertainers about their cultural spark of inspiration. I'm Adam Unz at Spark Parade on all social media. As always, thanks so much for joining me. Um, my guest today is singer-songwriter Milk, who spoke to me about her spark, Khalil Gibran's world-dominating book, The Prophet. Uh, Connie, um, that's Milk's given name, and we're obviously on a first-name basis now, so uh, anyway, Connie is uh, really smart and thoughtful, and we had a really interesting conversation that you too will find interesting, so let's get stuck in, shall we? Quick Milk Facts. Connie Lim, a.k.a. Milk, is a singer-songwriter, producer, and advocate who has been an impactful voice in the advancement of human rights since the well-known 2017 viral performance of her song Quiet during the Women's March. Quiet became the unofficial anthem of the movement, was named Billboard's number one protest song, and was selected for NPR's American Anthems series. The city of Los Angeles featured Milk as a leader in positive change and influence for the AAPI community in their Together We Speak exhibit. And Milk's upcoming song, We Won't Go Back, stems from the voices of the March for Abortion Rights in D.C., in which she participated. The song is a shared anthem for women everywhere, advocating for the right to choose liberty for their own bodies. She is also currently working on a new full-length album that will arrive later this year. Quick Prophet Facts. The Prophet is a book of 26 prose poetry fables written in English by the Lebanese-American poet and writer Khalil Gibran. It was originally published in 1923 and is Gibran's best-known work. The Prophet has been translated into over 100 different languages, making it one of the most translated books in history, as well as one of the best-selling books of all time. It has never been out of print. And there you have it. Armed with that knowledge, take my hand and I'll lead you to new conversational heights. Here comes my chat with Milk about the prophet. So the standard entry point is uh, the the origin story. Do you remember being introduced to this book or uh, finding it for yourself? I remember um, being introduced to the prophet by Khalil Gibran when I was at school at UC Berkeley, I think I was a third or fourth year and someone had mentioned it and then other people were like, oh yeah, it's so good, like exclaiming. I was like, oh, I should check that out. And I found it at a bookstore like a couple weeks later 
without even thinking about it, it just kind of popped up. I feel like books do that where they just find us when we need to find them. Mm. Um, and I found out a bookstore in Berkeley and then just proceeded to fall in love with it. I think the one that really shook me was the poem about children. Mm. And because of my background and the upbringing I had um, and the journey I was on becoming an artist and really taking that as my own path, that poem really came at a very crucial time to give me permission to make my life the way I wanted to see it, even if it really defied what my family wanted for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it feels like, I mean, it is such a, um, has such a massive universal appeal. It's, uh, one of the things that really struck me in kind of, uh, reading about the, the book and, um, the, the place that it's had in the world for the last, whatever, a hundred years, um, is, this idea of dichotomy. There's a lot of stuff in the book that, you know, is this kind of echoing saying, you know, love um, needs togetherness, but also uh, separation. Um, and the book itself ha represents this kind of dichotomy that it's like this book that is one of the most popular books of all time you know, the third most popular book of poetry ever after Shakespeare. Um, but also something that has had very little promotion throughout its lifespan, including when it first came out, you know, a little bit of advertising, but very little. So its popularity has really come from word of mouth. So it's both one of the most popular books in the world and one of the most, uh, unpromoted works. So it's really something that people come to through word of mouth. Um, and that kind of discovery, I think kind of enhances that idea that it's something private, that it's something personal and that, you know, when mm. it really speaks to people, they feel like it's something that they have earned because they've discovered it. And it's not, you know, something that's splashed all over the front page of every newspaper. Well, well said, that's a really good point. And I find, um, it's such the prophet such a sacred work and i'm i'm actually i didn't realize it was the third most popular book because actually i i actually talk about these poems a lot um and recently i i was traveling um to nashville and to memphis to write with some writers and um i'm from los angeles so it's really fun to do it's like almost like a cultural exchange of sorts like sharing ideas and there's different people with different belief systems and stuff. And um, a lot of people had not heard of Khalil Gibran um, during my writing session out there. I'm sure there's many people who know about Khalil Gibran in Nashville, but it happened to be in pockets of communities where I was introducing it to them, which one felt really cool. I was like, oh, I get to introduce this work mm. to people. And at the same time, it feels so like, you know, when I come back here and I talk to other writers and poets and stuff, like it's such a revered work. So I love that you brought that point up. feels like powerful works just are spread through word of mouth. Mm. Um, I feel like that's the biggest compliment when like people tell me that someone shared my music with them. That's like the best thing versus like them hearing it on hearing about it on some type of website or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. And you know, I think it is also a testament to the power of the ideas in it and that it's this kind of distillation of, um, 
you know, he uh, was a student of many religions. Um, he was in some ways involved with, but definitely uh, an admirer of the Baha'i faith, which is in itself a distillation of all faiths, or at least a, it, it's based on the principle of respecting all faiths. Mm. Um, and this book really uh, takes a lot of the central ideas of many, many different religions, finds the commonality. And I think, you know, for many people, the things that are most appealing about religious ideas are not the really dogmatic things, but are the ideas that are universal, that are about love and children and these kind of common experiences that everyone can relate to. Um, so definitely that's got a lot to do with this book's popularity is that it is this, um, uh, you know, little sort of proverbs that relate to these tentpole issues, these things that are, you know, these important pillars of people's lives. Well said. Absolutely. Um, I think that's why I was drawn to another work too, Life of Pi. Um, Life of Pi and the Prophet both have this similar thing of uh, like in, uh, universality of love for all different types of religions and really revering the beautiful parts of each. I remember being a kid um, and, and reading Life of Pi, I had a similar feeling as to what you just said, where my shoulders kind of eased and dropped. And I thought, oh, there are people out there in the world that don't need to be one or the other. Mm. And I'm thinking about that a lot right now as our country, the United States, is going through kind of a, a push and pull between different belief systems. Um, and as a woman, the the ideas of other religions expecting how I, I need to uh, make decisions about my own body. Like that's all coming up right now. And the spirit of the prophet and the love for these different religions and respecting those universal beliefs is I hold that very dearly to me because I'm trying to really see people beyond the, their dogma, you know, and I think uh, trying to understand where people are coming from. I think there's a part of me that wants to protect my freedom to choose while also understanding some people are coming from a totally different background and wanting to project their rules of their own life onto others. And I hold on to these works because I feel like Khalil Gibran transcends um, right or wrong. You know, it's, it's, it's about what's, what's true beyond right or left or, you know, conservative versus, um, progressive. Yeah. And that's the thing with these universal ideas is that in the Venn diagram of human experience, uh, if you're just taking left versus right, there's still going to be this overlap in the middle where there are these fundamental things about the human experience that everybody can understand. And, you know, whether we approach those things in the same way is another issue. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is that push now to try and find some kind of common ground with people who don't think the same way that you do. Of course, you know, the other person has to act in good faith and try to do the same for you. Um, but finding these ideas that feel like they are things that are indisputable, that they um, it's not about uh, a certain take on those issues. It's not about the way that um, people interpret those things, but taking, you know, the idea of love 
at its simplest, purest form um, and saying, I think that's something we can all agree on <laughs> um, and doing it through poetry. And, you know, all of the, the quotes from this book are everywhere, you know, on every so, kind of merchandise, yeah. weddings, funerals, ev every occasion. Yeah, it's well said. I also think another really interesting thing, going back to the idea of, uh, you know, sort of distilling uh, a lot of religious ideas, this was written at a time. One of the things that made this book so popular, not just when it was written, but it's kind of had waves of popularity. And it is that has coincided with uh, an uptick in secularism in this country. And that when this book was written, the real hardcore evangelical dominance in this country was waning. And there was this feeling that people wanted to have some kind of, you know, spiritual um, focus that wasn't necessarily something to do with organized religion. And mm -hmm. again, when you have a text like this, that's taking the most fundamental ideas of the religious experience and putting them in a secular context so that anybody from any background can say, this is for me and it's not something that excludes me. Um, and I, yeah, I think that was the the first wave was kind of people relating uh, to that. And then also like in the sixties, the, this was a big thing for the counterculture movement. Um, so it, it's interesting to me how, um, you know, because these ideas are so universal that it's like people respond to it in different ways and, uh, attach it to their own movement, their life, whatever their experience is, and it fits everyone. <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I didn't know the um, different surges of popularity for this work, um, and what you just shared really makes sense. Um, and I think I could say even now today there is a hungering for a spiritual um, healing amidst all the different things that are expected of us as human beings in modern society. Um, and I think some of us are so inundated with technology and rushing around that we might not even understand what that hunger is. Um, you know, I love the phrase God-shaped hole. I feel like many of us do have a God-shaped hole that we try to fill um, with media consumption or social media numbers or, you know, career accolades, consumerism, all those things. And I think there is, I feel like we might be coming towards a time where that hunger is going, is, is getting to a peak as well, especially as we're figuring out how to navigate um, this new phase of the pandemic and coming out of quarantines and lockdowns. Um, uh, I think there is this a lot of, I feel like there's a balance, like I, I'm starting to go to a lot more events and stuff and I can feel people kind of clicking into quote unquote, what was like this, this rhythm of busyness. And I can also feel this uh, underbelly layer of um, contemplation that's happening with people, whether or not they have the time or opportunity to wonder why they're feeling differently than how they used to feel. Um, I, I hear a lot of people using the word burnout and, and people navigating that. And so I feel like wor a work like this, like the prophet is going to resurge in popularity. Mm. I can feel it. 
Time for a quick break, because somebody's got to keep the lights on around here. But we'll be right back. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. You know, the ubiquity of uh, cell phones and other forms of technology and devices, everybody being attached to them, but also this period that we've all just gone through, people being stuck in their homes, people having these enormous adjustments in their life, a lot of people starting to work from home. And, you know, that can be a good or a bad thing. Um, But making these enormous changes and having to kind of find a way to cope with that and having something like this that it is, I think, um, to me, the central purpose is just calm is focus it's like giving people again these very fundamental ideas to latch on to um in a way that's beautifully written and um, oh beautifully written just breathtaking yeah yeah i i came i was chanting this to myself a lot during the lockdown um was poetry or poison i think so i think there were a lot of uh substances that were available to us as we were feeling like cooped up and restless. And I actually fell back into my cigarette habit. Um, and then like found myself drinking a lot of whiskey, you know, mm. like at and it was like a phase and I was like, okay, I can either like go back into these like forms of poison or I can choose poetry. So I'd wake up and tell myself poetry a poison. And so, and poetry is like, I have, Mary Oliver here and all these different books. And like, it's like a, like you said, it's just this, this fundamental um, hunger that it feeds and it feels like a cleansing. It does like, and so you're talking about religion. It just feels, feels like I am getting cleansed, like washed over by something really beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's also so fascinating to me that um, Khalil Gibran himself struggled with a lot of this stuff just talking about substance abuse, you know, that he wrote the prophet when he was 40 and he died when he was 48 and he had tuberculosis, but also essentially drank himself to death. Um, Mm -hmm. and he was a really ambitious guy in some ways, not the nicest guy. Like he took advantage of his sister. He had a woman who was a benefactor who he had this kind of like push pull relationship sort of acted like he was romantically interested in her and then would pull back and just let her pay for everything. She edited a lot of his stuff and probably deserves a lot of credit for Mm -hmm. the final product. Um, But Adam, you're bringing all these facts that I just didn't (laughs) know. This is so fun. I feel like I'm going to leave this chat 
with an even deeper appreciation for all of this. So thank you. Hey, that's uh, that's one of the goals here. Um, but uh, yeah, he you know he was a complicated guy. He had. Um, you know, he's really accomplished, like something like seven or eight hundred works in his lifetime. He was a really accomplished painter. He wrote tons of other books, none of them ever as, as popular as this one. Um, but also, you know, he struggled with some of the things that people come to this book trying to reconcile within themselves. Like he really, really wanted to be famous. And then this book was very successful in his lifetime and he kind of couldn't deal with it. Um, and so the idea that someone who has provided this work of art that um, has touched so many people and is enormously popular, you know, beyond anything that he could have dreamed of, that he could probably have used something like this himself to kind of mm -hmm. center himself. Um, so, yeah, sort of an irony there. And also, again, the dichotomy, this idea of like, uh, you know, a counterbalance to everything in life. And there was a lot of that that he struggled with as well. He was, um, sorry, I'm rabbiting on about all of my fun facts here, but, um, yeah, just, just, uh, all of that stuff seems really, uh, an interesting part of the overall story to me too. Yeah. I think that's important to accept. I think that we're all so human and I love, I love knowing that people who have created works that have changed my life in such a positive way are fundamentally flawed human beings. Um, the expectation for us to be quote unquote heroes is, is a, is a valiant like desire and also um, sets us up for disappointment. If we expect people to be just these, you know, um, morally sound human beings all the time. Like I was just talking to my partner about Thomas Merton and, you know, he, he, was a priest, I believe, um, and ended up having an affair with a woman. Um, and he never apologized for it. He actually said, you know, it brought him closer to God and, uh, different things. Like, I, I just like knowing that I, I was telling my partner, I like knowing that Thomas Merton, I, and now you telling me about Khalil Gibran, I like knowing that they were flawed human beings because I think it, when we, when we think that extraordinary people who have created extraordinary works are these like flawless characters. It creates this separation between consumer and creator, making it seem as if, oh, well, I can't really make anything like that because that's like Khalil Gibran. He's like perfect, you know, versus Khalil Gibran's flawed. Um, and so am I. And so maybe there's no distinction between me and Khalil. And we are all, again, like we're all one. Um, and maybe creation is possible for me too. So I like that you brought that up and that part of his story. Yeah. And also with a text like this, that is religion adjacent, I guess it is, you know, he has drawn from ideas from Christianity and Buddhism and S Sufism and, uh, all, all of these other world religions. Um, but I think the thing that really prevents it from becoming a religious text is that it's written by a human being who's not being deified. There's tons of criticism of the way he acted in his life. Um, and he was not a perfect person. And I think have, like you said, having that perspective, being able to say this person created this amazing thing. And there's a lot in our contemporary world, uh, a lot of discourse about 
whether we should separate the art from the artist. When artists do terrible things, how do we uh, deal with their work? And I don't think Khalil Gibran ever did anything that would have, you know, gotten him canceled. But um, just uh, maybe. Yeah, Maybe who knows? Who knows? who knows? who knows? Yeah. Um, we, there's so much that was not documented. Mm. You know, um, social media documents so much of what, every, everything we do. So who knows? I yeah. mean, he's, he's yeah, off, give, given us a big gift. Yeah, I struggle with that, like no, learning about what someone has done in their life and maybe it's like an egregious thing and then they've also created incredible music. Like it's it's – I, 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 I still haven't figured out how to approach that, but I, I just like to acknowledge like, oh, I'm, I'm not sure yet of how I want to approach this. I definitely know that I'm human and that I've done things in my life as well. Maybe not as quote unquote egregious, but like, who am I to judge? It's a weird, it's a weird gray area that I'm learning to be okay with. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I guess it's a lot of it's situational as too. it depends on uh, exactly what this person has been accused of and what the work they do is and, and all those kinds of things. But um, yeah, and I, I guess that's at the heart of all this stuff. Like people are very complicated. And that, again, idea of like light and dark, um, these polarized forces in everyone that are um, – you know, the, the balance between the two can be different from person to person, but that everyone is complicated. Everyone is a full, you know, uh, has, has this rich inner life, this rich, uh, experience and we're all individuals, but we all have these, you know, commonalities that we can latch on to, even if we perceive them in different ways. Exactly. Yeah. And I, 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 that also brings up the point, like kind of looking at it from now focusing on the fact that like we are these flawed humans. And then sometimes what comes through us are these like sacred, beautiful works of art. Um, and it, it reminds me, um, of the dis of how, you know, um, when I create something and it resonates with the world, uh, the human thing to do is to focus on me and what I've created. But I think that um, I'm just there to show up as a vessel and, and whatever's choosing to come through me is going to come through me. Um, my friend Hollis um, is this incredible musician um, based in LA. She's part of the artist community here that we formed. And she says this thing of... Um, how the artist takes care of the quantity of times that he, she, they shows up to make the work and the universe takes care of the quality. So it's like this kind of this intersection. So if you like, even looking at, like we're talking about religion, like looking at the cross, like there's the horizontal, the path I'm walking on this everyday world. And as an artist, I show up, I move towards my studios, this horizontal line. And then Every, every once in a while, like the universe, I didn't grow up religious, so I'll, I say universe, like the universe kind of blesses me with a beautiful piece of art that comes through me. And sometimes I'm like chasing a work because I can like feel it and hear it and see it. And I'm just trying to get it all out of me. Um, and I think I love the fact that it's not me that take that creates the genius part. Like, I love that all I need to be in charge of as an artist is 
my my devotion and devotion has been a word a concept that i like am driven by like my life all i want is to be devoted because there's something because through that devotion of showing up um whether it's in real life with social advocacy work or through music i get to practice this like gratitude for this life i'm given and then the universe sparks me once in a while with these gifts that are beyond where i'm at at the moment maybe my subconscious is there but like my given person like when i wrote a song that went viral at the women's march like some of those concepts i was not prepared to live but the song came through me and it taught me how to live that way you know and i yeah. feel like art is a really great way for us to predict the future and it it they create like we're creating these stepping stones as we're trying to cross this river and each art project is like a stone and it's like up to us to actually step into and live it um but that's what i've found and i feel like i'm continuing to do that is like these songs like become stepping stones to get to a better version of myself hopefully mm. yeah and i i like that idea that it's like as an artist you know you talent can be cultivated talent can be honed but you have these things in you your, your talent is not something that you know you bought <laughs> it, it it's something that that you have i wish and, i could that'd be great <laughs> right, right. guitar skills i wish i could have <laughs> yeah. but that i you know idea of like you are you the, the part that you're in charge of is how you use that talent how often you use it, in what way you use it, all of those kinds of things. Um, so yeah, that's uh, really, really nice stuff. Um, I think that is a, uh, a lovely note on which to finish. This has been really, really nice. Thank you so much for making time for me. Yeah, you too. Thank you for educating me so much on, <laughs> on the work that I already loved so deeply. Well, I, I I do my best. I do my best to throw in some some nice little fun facts. So mission accomplished. <laughs> All right. Thanks again. Take care. Thank you. You too. Bye bye. That was a great conversation, wasn't it? Uh, thanks again to Milk for chatting with me. You can listen to her singles "Steady as We Go" and "Power" right now. Okay. A uh, quick spark of the week from me. I saw Men the new Alex Garland film this weekend, and for lack of a more eloquent summary, it's bonkers. Uh, I really love Alex Garland's work. He directed Annihilation and Devs, and he's written lots of great films too. Uh, this is, I guess, um, at its heart, an examination of misogyny in a horror context. Uh, Jesse Buckley and Rory Kinnear are the two leads, and they are both brilliant in it. Uh, it's scary and creepy and... Fair warning, really gross. Uh, I really liked it, but it's been fairly divisive. So check it out and let me know what you think about it. And you can do that by following me on social media, at Spark Parade. See how smoothly I integrated that into this episode? Flawless. Uh, anyway, that's just about it from me this week. Have a lovely long weekend if you're in the United States. And, you know, have lots of fun even if you've just got a normal weekend. And uh, until next time, uh, bye.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.